welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast, where we share the successes and challenges of raising pigs on pasture. We talk to producers all over the country, from small homesteads to large commercial pasture operations. Whether you're new to pastured pigs or have been raising hogs for decades, we hope you hear new ideas and new perspectives on pasturing hogs. Here's your host, Troy McClung. Well, it's Pastured Pig Podcast time again. Glad you all decided to listen, to download, or maybe it just automatically popped up in your feed. So either way, glad you're here. Please don't take off. (laughs) For those of you that are curious, I did want to let you know that the intro voice you hear, that beautiful young uh, lady's voice that you hear, is actually my wife, Kelly. Um, She appreciates me saying young. Uh, but she's uh, she stepped in to do our voice intro and appreciate her doing that. So a little shout out to her. Well, I want to give some updates. Uh, what's going on here at Red Tool House? Uh, we are still in our drought. It's starting to get a bit of a concern. Uh, I think they're expecting, uh, they're forecasting rain, there's a pretty decent amount of rain next week, which would be the first full week of October. Uh, so we're hoping that's the case. Right now it's a little dry on the farm, a little dusty. Uh, all of my uh, streams have dried up, and the one pig wallow, which is a real low spot down by the stream, uh, has uh, it's kind of funny. It reminds me of a fat kid in a kiddie pool. <laughs> and I can say fat kid because I'm a fat kid. Um, <laughs> so there's just enough water there for one of my breeding sows to fit in, and, and her legs kind of stick out on either side, and she doesn't get very submerged in it. So it's it's kind of funny. She's um, uh, each one of them go down, and of course we have pecking order. So um, if uh, if one of the low pigs on the totem poles in the in the wallow, then uh, one of the uh, alphas come by and, and knock them out and run them off. So hoping we can get some rain to uh, get tempers to subside and <laughs> and get a little more solidarity in the breeding sow group. <laughs> Well, we wanted to uh, uh, recognize our sponsor for this episode and uh, appreciate these companies um, working with us. Uh, hopefully we can get get more involved and, and allow me to reinvest in the podcast and, and provide even more uh, quality information for you all, if that's the case. Uh, this week, it's Titan Equipment, and Titan Equipment is a tractor attachment company. They sell a myriad of tractor attachments uh, for farm tractors and skid steers. Uh, I have two of their attachments. I have a six inch wood chipper that's PTO driven, and I also have an auger slash post hole digger. Uh, I've used both of those quite a bit. Uh, the six inch chipper has been awesome on the farm. We can never have too many wood chips. I use them for everything from bedding for the animals to uh, mulching for the garden. We do the deep litter method to uh, just all kinds of great stuff. Even putting them down as uh, some uh, mud abatement if we ever get mud again in uh, on some of our trails and stuff here on the farm. So uh, Titan Equipment, we, we've run that chipper and it's, it's run great. Uh, I really like the fact that they offer uh, free home delivery. Uh, so where we are rural here in southern West Virginia, we had a, uh, a big box truck roll up and drop, the, drop those pieces of equipment off to me. I didn't have to go transport them and bring them back on a trailer and do all that. It was great. Um, actually, if you um, if you want to see videos featuring either of those two pieces of equipment, I have uh, those on our YouTube channel, and I'll, I'll put uh, put links to those down in our show notes so you can check those out. Uh, really sol- solid products, uh, good warranties. I've really been impressed with the building construction of them. Well, okay, moving on to our interview topic today. 
Uh, I have, uh, uh, this is another interview with uh, somebody that's new to pastured uh, pigs. So I, I really appreciated our interview last week with Jack. Uh, and and uh, so we've got a couple more like that. And, and this one this week with Chris uh, is similar. So Chris is, is new to pigs. They've been, uh, he and his wife have been raising pigs for about a year and a half now. Uh, he does have some farm experience. Uh, it's kind of interesting. He's a school teacher uh, turned uh, pig farmer. He still teaches, but he wants to, he and his wife have always wanted to have a farm of their own. And so they were looking at, they got into pigs, uh, just looking at some additional farm income. And of course, as we all know, as we all kind of have a similar story, wanting to know where their food comes from. Well, I'm not going to give away any more of Chris's details. I'm going to let him tell the tale. So this is Chris Dembski, and he is in Pennsylvania. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pastured Pig Podcast. I'm so excited to do yet another episode and, and sit and talk with another guest on the podcast. Uh, tonight we have Chris Dembski uh, from Pennsylvania, and he's he's kind of new to the Pastured Pig world. Uh, but uh, talking to him a little bit before we started recording, he does have some uh, farm experience, and it sounds like he's uh, off and running quite well. So, Chris, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Troy. Appreciate being on. All right, so uh, you are in, uh, you said in uh, mid-Pennsylvania right now? Yeah, south-central PA, um, pretty close to Harrisburg. Okay, okay, so that's uh, that's very similar uh, uh, zone to what uh, to what we experience here in West Virginia, not too far away. Okay, so, um, so how, how long have you been raising pastured pigs? I've been doing it now for, I guess, about a year and a half. Okay. Yeah, about a year and a half. So, so not very long. <laughs> yeah. So, so what? Uh, let's back up a little bit. What led you to? Uh, obviously, this isn't a full time gig for you. So, give us a little background of of who Chris is and what got you to the point of bringing pigs on property. Yeah. Uh, well, so I grew up on a farm, um, and then I, you know, went to college and all that stuff, and uh, became a school teacher. I'm in my uh, late twenties now. Been teaching school for a couple years. And then my, my wife and I's dream was always to, to get our, a farm of our own. So uh, about uh, three years ago, we moved back home uh, here to Pennsylvania, and uh, we purchased our own farm. It's, a, it's an 11-acre farm. And uh, we stretched ourselves just a little bit on the budget for the size of house we were getting and just kind of thinking like, hey, um, you know, well, this is going to kind of be our, our forever home, and we'll work on it. But in the lines of that, my thought process was, well, hey, if we're going to pay a little extra for this farm, it's going to have to kind of help with the help with the bills um and so uh kind of started thinking about hey how can how can my farm help me make a little bit of money um to you know pay for itself and uh, that combined with sort of uh my wife and i's philosophy on on health and food and uh you know a lot of the sustainability stuff that i know a lot of your listeners are into and just just knowing where your food comes from um that kind of got got me thinking and then it was okay well what's what are low barriers to entry? You know, I'm probably not going to, you know, start up a, a dairy milking thing or, you know, we are just some, some quick things I can do that, like, like I said, low barriers to entry. And, um, I grew up on a farm that, that wasn't commercial by any means, but, you know, I had every manner of animal at some point growing up and, um, pigs was the one thing that my family always just appreciated most, most when it came to butcher time. Cause it was, you know, we would do like, broiler chickens and it was you know it was it was chicken but with a pig you had you know you had bacon and sausage and you know chops and all all the stuff and it just seemed to give the most when it came time to butcher time and so i was like hey 
let's try that. <laughs> so started doing some research, uh, came across the Facebook group and been off and running ever since. Excellent. Well, yeah, there's a, wow, there's a lot to unpack there. So let, let's back up a little. And, and so looking at moving back home, acquiring some property, uh, something with a house on it, and then kind of making that connection, say, okay, this is a pretty substantial investment. We need to see if this investment can work for us. Did, um, you know, how, did you have to convince your wife in that situation? Was she totally on board with this? You know, what, what, what kind of marital bliss did we have in this situation there? Yeah, no, she was, she was on board. Um, she is, she does not have a farming background. She is from the suburbs of Chicago, Oh wow. um, which is, you know, it's farmland in the sense that it's Midwest, but, but she was not, she was definitely a suburbia girl. Um, however, when we, through the process of us, um, courting and, um, that kind of thing and her coming back to visit my family and the farm, she fell in love with that kind of lifestyle. So she, so she was all in with getting the farm um, and it, it worked out fine. So <laughs> she, we, we were on the same page with it. And um, like I said, she doesn't really know anything about farming, but she was totally on board to start learning. And now, shoot, we had pigs get out today when I was at work and she was out there wrangling them for me. So she's been awesome. Awesome. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's nice having a spouse or or a helpmate there to, to really be able to, to, to help help with the burden, especially with uh, with all farm jobs and things that, that comes in handy. So you had mentioned something that, that resonates with me and I think resonates with a lot of us that get into um, sustainable agriculture is is starting to look at the source of your food, food where your food comes from, uh, the makeup of the food, and, and just getting a better understanding of that. And, then, of course, taking a lot of that responsibility on personally. Can you expand on that a little mm-hmm. bit more? Yeah, I mean, I just think that um, – shoot, I don't even know where to begin. Um, there, in America, just the way our food system is set up, we don't know ha- more than half of the ingredients that are in our food. You know, my wife is a label reader, and no one, it seems, reads labels. And she will be in the grocery store, and she'll look at a thing. And, you know, if there's words that, that she can't pronounce, <laughs> you know, like uh, – I don't know, dexatroxin or something like that. And, and if we don't know what that is offhand, then we're starting to question, hey, should I put that in my body? Um, and I think that's a question in America that so few people are asking. I mean, fortunately, more and more are. But, you know, broad scale, you know, whether it's, you know, fast food, microwave food, what, whatever we're getting, we're, there's just not that connection to where the food comes from. And so it's all preservative laden and, you know, all this stuff and, you know, cancer rates are higher than ever and there's probably some correlation there and so um we know that it's a huge uphill battle and you know it's it's really hard to be a total purist with it but my philosophy is kind of like hey whatever step we can take whether it's growing a tomato in the garden or knowing what you fed your meat before you eat it you know whatever little thing we can do is a step in the right direction um and you know you know garbage in garbage out type philosophies so um, yeah, just, I guess, caring more about that. I think just asking the question, what am I eating? That's a great first step. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Um, and that's a step I think a lot of people in our country and in the West in general need, quite frankly. Um, but you know, that's a whole other topic. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's a great point. And would, would you say it was safe? Uh, you mentioned you had, uh, uh, before we started recording, you, you mentioned you had two young girls. You know, yeah. In my experience, when when our boys were born, that was that was when we started thinking about that, and, and it, it just it just brought all that to the forefront. It had been in the back of our minds, but as our kids were born, we're like, hey, we really got to start looking at what we're eating and why we're eating it. So, yeah, definitely, uh, especially for them because they have no 
preconceived notions of what food is or should be. Um, and so, yeah, that's definitely something that my wife and I have talked about a lot as far as, you know, what they eat, you know, whatever we feed them is normal for them. And so if we can feed them well, and if we can get them to question junk, you know, then it won't be weird for them. It's hard for me to not eat an Oreo because I've grown to love Oreos, right. even though I can objectively read the label and be like, Hey, this is awful for me. But you know, if I can train the next generation to just be like, why well, hey, that's, that's gross because of what it could do to my body. Then yeah, I, I, that's a good point about educating the next the next generation. We definitely have thought about that. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, let's. Uh, one other thing you said there that I like, and and I think this is is critical, and I try to emphasize this with with people that ask me about getting started with pigs. You mentioned this uh, low barrier to entry with pigs. So uh, explain mm-hmm. that a little bit and what your experience as to how that's the case. Yeah, I mean, and I, I don't even remember how I got my first pigs. To be honest with you, I think it was on Craigslist or something. But you know, you can buy a feeder pig for. I don't know, you know, 50, hundred bucks, something like that. You can get a couple of them and you know, there's, you know, not that much upfront investment. Um, depending on the property you already have, you know, obviously that could be an investment, but assuming you have some place to put them, even if it's an acre, um, you know, you can buy the animal. It's, and it's just not, it's just not that much. And if it doesn't work out, you know, you can butcher the thing and say, okay, hey, that wasn't that fun. I'm not going to do that again. Um, so it just, like I said, I mean, low barrier to entry, I think is the best way to put it. Um, and then, you know, the, the grow out times, you know, obviously depending on the breed and the feed and all that stuff are manageable. You know, it's, you, you know, it's not like, I don't know, raising a cow, which could take longer or it's, it, it, you can do it fairly quickly and see some pretty quick results, which I think like that can help you gain momentum. Like we got our first pigs in February and we butchered in July. So grand scheme of things, that's not that long a time for me to get, you know, a bacon seed in the back of the truck to actual bacon in my pan, <laughs> you know, that was kind of like, hey, here's here's a little bit of success. Like, this is cool, uh, as opposed to if it was, you know, a, a longer um, time to put in before you saw any fruit out of it. And I think that kind of builds momentum to keep you going, um, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, and, and I agree. I, I think all those points are, are, are very valid. And, and the one thing that when we first got started years ago looking at this, uh, that was my first uh, motivation. It's like, okay, how much investment am I, am I going to have to make to get into this? Hey, we'd been raising chickens for a while, so we knew what kind of money we had tied up there. But um, when you look at pigs, you don't necessarily need heavy equipment, so you don't have to go out and buy a big tractor. You don't have to go out and, mm-hmm. and buy a big hay, ba- hay baler or things that can handle those large bales like you would with cattle. Nor right, do you, right. Nor do you have to make that large investment in uh, confinement, in, in fencing. Yeah, and that's mm-hmm. that's the thing that really uh, resonated with me is like, okay, a couple strands of electric fence run through the woods, and, and I may be able to have pastured pigs versus you know, trying to keep a goat in, trying to keep uh, you know, predators off my chickens, trying to keep a cow uh, you know, in, in a certain area. So I, I, I think yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great point. Yeah. I think that's something the, the that, fencing part. Yeah. A lot of, sure. pe- a lot of people don't, uh, don't necessarily take all those into, into consideration, but I, I love your, your discussion there about the, uh, your point about the grow out times as well, that you can, you can see the fruits of your labor and then uh, hopefully that's motivation to continue forward. Well, yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's talk about, so a year and a half in, I assume, uh, uh you know, first grow out season's done you're working on your second grow out season so uh let, let's talk a little bit about the first season so uh you found some pigs on craigslist i assume uh you, <laughs> what what was your choice and selection there and then how did that first year work out for you yeah so um 
I, like I said, I forget the details on it, but I, I remember researching breeds and, and I figured out pretty quickly I want to go, you know, like the heritage route and, and do the pasture thing as best I can. And then I, I remember researching different breeds and I ended up that I wanted to pursue Herefords. And so, which Herefords are kind of hard to find, but happened to find uh, a random guy on Craigslist that was maybe two hours away. And uh, I actually, I remember I sent my dad <laughs> to go and pick him up. So my dad goes and picks up four, four Hereford piglets who were intact boars. Hmm. Okay. And um, I, you know, I forget how old they were. They were probably, you know, six, eight weeks, whatever someone would sell a, a wiener pig at. And I remember the guy giving my dad a scalpel in case he wanted to fix them, but you know, they weren't fixed. <laughs> uh, and I, I, at this point, I don't know about boar taint or anything like, I don't, I don't know the controversy, <laughs> you know, right. one way or the other. Right. And, and so my dad comes back and tells me that. And I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I'll, I'll look into it. Um, and, it kind of like laziness factor kicked in and these pigs just keep getting bigger and bigger and we don't take the time to go and cut them. And so, you know, the bigger they get, the less likely that's going to be that you're going to do that. Exactly. And so we're like, I, I don't know how, how far into it, but we're at the point of no return where these pigs are, are too big to manhandle. I'm too cheap to pay a vet to come in and, and put them down and do that. Um, and so I start doing some serious research into board taint to see like, Hey, you know, basically am i screwed <laughs> or is this is could this be okay um so i did a whole bunch of reading on on that um on you know stuff that, that walter had done with the the, the bio research and, and everything the super helpful stuff um and just went for it and said hey you know what i'm gonna butcher some boars that aren't that are gonna be eight months old and i'm gonna pray for the best <laughs> and so i i distinctly remember getting that meat back and and grabbing a um a fish from the from the pile and frying up my pan and being like, I hope I can eat this. <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, so that was, that was, and I keep in mind now I had pre-sold some of this meat to friends and to friends. Um, and so I'm, I've got, I'm kind of on the hook for this meat tasting good. And so I was like, oh, I hope this is okay. Uh, and it turns out it was totally fine. So I was like, whew. Um, so that was, that was kind of the, a big thing in the first year is, um, uh, whether or not, you know, there would be a Bortain issue. Right. Um, and so, so before I butchered those guys, I think I had found out by that point, like, Hey, this is kind of fun. I, I could kind of get into this. And so I decided to keep one of the boars. So I had, I had four and they, I had butcher date. And I was like, all right, I'm going to butcher three of them. And whoever's the most stubborn and doesn't want to get on the truck, he's staying because <laughs> they all, <laughs> they all look about the same to me. You know, they were brothers. I don't really know what to look for in terms of like, you know, stance and genetics and all that, you know, I'm, sure. I'm eight months into this project. And so I was like, you know what, whoever doesn't want to get on the truck and whoever wants to fight the most, you can have a much happier life than what these guys are about to get. There you go. <laughs> so I, so I did. And, um, I kept a boar and went, those ones went to butcher. And then I started, um, looking for sows, um, to say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to try my hand at breeding. And just cause by that time I, I was having enough fun and I was like, Hey, you know, pigs can put out a decent sized litter and I'm, I'm, let's, let's try that. And so that was kind of my next step. All right. So, um, so you, you finished four, kept the, kept the one boar for breeding, uh, processed the other three. And uh, so as you're looking for a, a sow or a gilt to breed, uh, were, were you looking for another Hereford? I was, and this is a funny story. So I love Herefords. I was super pleased with how fast they grew. I thought they looked beautiful. I was like, I'm, I'm all in on the Herefords. This is great. So I find a, another Craigslist ad um, 
in uh, about an hour and a half away that says uh, two, I think it was four four Hereford like registered Hereford gilts or something and I was like all right cool I'll go get those and so I go down and I meet this farmer and he opens up this little trailer and here are these four beautiful jet black piglets <laughs> and I'm like oh, like come on man like I drove all the way down here like these are clearly not Herefords and so I, I gotta have this awkward discussion with this guy right so I'm like you know hey man like this isn't what I came down here for you know and he's like, what are you talking about? So lo and behold, this whole time I had messed up the reading of this Craigslist ad and it clear as day said Berkshire, not Hereford. No, and I don't no. know if I just had some sort of weird confirmation bias that I wanted to see Hereford. And I, <laughs> I don't know what happened, but it was totally my fault. <laughs> so, so long and short of it is he's got four registered Berkshires for sale that are like, I don't know, 200 bucks a piece or something. And I felt bad that I told him I was going to buy them, and I was we just sat there and talked, and he was real cool about it. And long story short, we come away with two of them. Oh. So I come away with two registered Berkshire gilts. And I was like, well, I hope this was a good decision. So I started doing a bunch of research on Berkshire, find out you know that that was a fine decision because they're a, a relatively popular pig in the Hereford world, and they got all this you know good meat quality and, and X Y Z. So it ended up working out cool, but it was funny. It was a total mistake on my part. Yeah, I mean that's, um, that's 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 not a bad cross. That that could produce some good litters there. Yeah, yeah. So I I got really excited about it. Um, and as I was kind of waiting for them to grow to be ready to you know um, to breed, and then waiting for the gestation stuff, I was I was pretty excited for what this could produce. So, and it didn't seem like a ton of people were doing that out there that I could find. Like I, I knew it had been done, but it wasn't super popular. You know, the, the Herefords grow quickly, and the Berkshires are known for this really good marbled meat. And I was like, hey, let's do it. So um, then those – so those, I had two two litters from those two gilts um, that I that I got, and they dropped this past May. Hmm. So, yeah. So how did, how did they fare? How, how well did that turn out? <laughs> well, in, like another thing, you know, do – new person do all this research you know farrowing crates where did where the whole nine yards and figure out what you want to do philosophically so i decided i wanted to let the animal do its thing mm -hmm. i was like you know what bless all you people that have these baby monitors and, and go out there at 3 a.m i was like i got my own real babies i was like i'm just gonna let this animal have its babies and if it works great and if it doesn't great but <laughs> I, I i can't handle the stress in my life of like monitoring when they're gonna give birth sure. so I, I put them together. I don't really judge the, the heat and all that stuff. I just I just put the animals together, and I was like, hey, at some point, you guys have some babies. Um, so as, as time goes by, I see they're clearly pregnant, and I know that the time's coming up for when they're going to be born, but I don't have an exact date on my calendar because I didn't pay that much attention to when they were eating stuff. Um, so I knew I wanted to have them somewhat controlled. Uh, so I, I wanted to get the gilts separated and into like a pen in my barn with, with plenty of space so I could manage them, but still let them, let them go naturally. So I get one gilt in, um, when she seems like she's really far along and have her in there for a while. Uh, I come home from school one day and there's, there's, I think 10 piglets out there. Hmm. Um, and, and everything's great. Like literally just left in the morning, she's pregnant, came back. 10 healthy piglets all nursing it's like awesome <laughs> yeah, wow. um so it's just really great um and that litter ended up um having one runt that made it 
several days and was just kind of getting worse and worse and it was about to about to die and i pulled it out and tried to nurse it like kind of you know myself with with milk and uh, you know keep it in a container and all that stuff and and it died shortly thereafter Mm -hmm. so one run and i i think nine nine alive so i was really happy with that and the cool thing was you know the my hereford is hereford color my berkshire is jet black and all my piglets turned out almost completely like hereford red Hmm. with some really small black spots so that was really cool because i like the red better anyway um yeah so that was that was unique then my other sow she is looking to be a little bit she she's not showing as much so i'm like okay she must have been a little bit behind the other one so she's still out in the woods with the boar just kind of hanging out it's like all right you know one of these days i got to get her into a pen so i go out to feed them one day and the boar comes right out and and she the mom or the sow is not coming out and, and you know if, when you feed animals like they come out for food time right yeah. um so so she doesn't come out and we had had a storm the night before and i was like you know great did like a tree fall on my pig or something like what the heck this is just weird because the area where i'm calling them from is not that big well sure enough i start walking and she's balled up under some branches out there and she's got a bunch of piglets there so she had farrowed in the woods all by herself and and everything was fine so she had um she lost she lost one that was that was dead like at birth Mm -hmm. and um then there was a second one that died a day or two later um i think she had like 12 though so i'm just down to like 10 so i had like a litter of i think nine and nine or nine and ten something like that so overall it's super successful um, with like no intervention from me. So it went really well. Yeah. Yeah. That's, so that's, that's a long way to say that my farrowing went well. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a great story. I mean, that's a uh, similar situation. My first farrowing didn't have a single loss out of both, both, uh, uh, uh sows and then just, just had you know, no crushing, no mummification, no stillborn, no runs. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, wow. Okay. This is easy. I don't know why everybody's so uptight about all this stuff. Right. Right. This exactly. Is a slam dunk. Like, I'm like riding high. <laughs> yeah. So that's great. Yeah. And, and that's, um, you know, you, you, you win some and you lose some. And and, exactly. and and I think it's funny. I had to laugh when you said uh, you had a storm that night because that's that's how mine usually fare. You pick the lousiest weather uh, yeah. at the time of year. And it's it's when they, they decide to bust out and go to the woods and, and farrow. So. Well, well, good. So um, so let's talk about your setup a little bit. So your your farm in Pennsylvania. How, how many acres do you have uh, designated for your pig operation? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I have 11 acres total, mostly field with a, a little chunk of woods that they're kind of in and out of. Um, for the pig specifically, it, it's, I don't know, probably four acres, five acres. Okay. The yeah. random, random assortment of electric fences <laughs> running every which way. And uh, it's not super well organized now, but I'm working on getting it to be more systematic. Yeah, well, the so looking at that as far as infrastructure goes, so using using electric fence, um, uh, still working on how you how you want to break those up into smaller paddocks, but uh, how you handle in water and your feed distribution, all that type of stuff. Um, yeah, so I um, I have a I have a well and a well pump out by my barn, and my my operation is kind of starts in my barn, and so like right now I have piglets who are in and out of the barn. Um, and then it kind of, you know, bleeds out into the outer areas of my property. And so I just, um, I just carry water in buckets right now. I have about a hundred yard walk for the farthest one. And I just try and get a water bucket to the animal as whatever pen they're in as, you know, as close to the farm as I can get it 
so then but it is basically just me walking uh five gallon buckets out to him which is a little obnoxious but uh it's not too bad and then one thing that that worked really well i know a lot of people have watering problems but i took um i inherited some plastic barrels they're not even the big ones they're kind of like if you if you know like kerosene um plastic carriers i don't know there may be 10 gallons or something like that Mm -hmm. but anyways i took one of those cut it in half uh long ways and then i took a pallet and kind of manipulated the boards in the pallet and kind of pounded and screwed this plastic waterer into the pallet and then i put a board across it so it's kind of divided into two sections and some of the pallet boards were just i had some super heavy oak on them and so it basically just weighs down this thing and so that one they don't really tip at all yeah um which is which is that's worked out really well um and then the other the other pigs have just kind of some basic metal containers and they tip them sometimes and sometimes they don't right yeah that seems I, don't, to, I don't fight them over it <laughs> seems to be a pig's prerogative it's like uh, you want to put 10 gallons of water in a bowl we're going to turn it over <laughs> yeah exactly so i just i say hey you know what you're getting water twice a day and if you dump it out right away like deal with it (laughs) yeah exactly although i do have one section um of my of my property and fence that does have a creek going through it and so uh the one that was helpful so uh this summer especially when it was you know really hot uh my sows could go down and and wallow a little bit in a creek and get water down there so that was helpful yeah that comes in handy and that's just one of those uh benefits of of infrastructure having having some of those natural resources to help out there it, it helps uh, curb some of the work yeah for sure well you had mentioned uh before we started recording about uh, uh an interesting point i think i think everyone would like to hear and, and i'm sure all of us run into this at some point so so looking at your operation you mentioned uh you know carrying water back and forth and and, and doing a lot of things by hand so mm-hmm. um machinery needs do you do you find yourself saying okay i really wish i had this or i think my operation run smoother if i invested in this piece of equipment what what have you what conversations (laughs) have you had with yourself so far yeah so uh on my farm the the only piece of i have two pieces of equipment i have a commercial lawnmower to keep my lawn mowed which doesn't help me that much for the pigs um here and there to mow a pasture but and then i have um a decent size but still a walk behind rototiller and like that's it so i don't have a tractor i wish i did that would be great to to plow fields and so i've i've done a lot of research on you know planting mixes and and what the plant behind the pigs pasture wise that is best for them because right now it's just kind of the hay field that i inherited and and i'm trying to let them root it up and then go behind them and, and plant stuff that's that's better for them with you know good seed mixes and and all that stuff but right now what I do is I have my pigs in an area and, you know, it sounds great to have them till it for you, but the reality is they till part of it. The other part they don't touch. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just not as simple as, Oh, I'll let the pigs till the ground for me. Um, so, but I, I do that. I let them till it for me. And then I go into their section with my hand rototiller <laughs> and I, you know, fire it up and even it out as best I can. And then I hand broadcast some seeds and, hope for the best so i would love to have a tractor with a plow that would be amazing um or a four-wheeler really anything (laughs) but at this point like i said you know i'm I'm not a full-time farmer can't justify that investment or loan payment every month and so right now i don't have that yeah and and again that's 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 a good point that you know 
growing at the speed of, of what makes sense and what is logical to keep you from getting upside down. Because like you say, you could go out, I mean, right now the way credit is for a lot of people, you could go out and, and buy a $20,000 tractor without any issue. And mm-hmm. uh, the only issue is you got to pay what you got to make for the next time. Right, right. <laughs> so, yeah, they, they get in a situation and say, okay, well, now I have to produce pigs for the next four or five years, and I have to be successful, and I have to be profitable to be able to cover the cost of my overhead. So, yeah, right. kind of growing into that operation as it makes sense. And like I said, for me, you know, I, I have a full-time career. I'm a school teacher, which is nice schedule-wise because, you know, I have my summers off. I can get home in a decent hour, that kind of stuff. Um, but I've always said throughout this process, Hey, any, I mean, I'm a businessman at heart, so I'm really into making them profitable. Um, and you know, profit is just, you know, not, you know, what you, what you make minus what you have to put out. Well, right now, other than my land expense, not putting out all that much. And if I had a, you know, tractor payment every month, that would, that would put a hurt on it. So I'm keeping things small right now. Um, and just maximizing profit, even though that profit might not be huge, <clears throat> the margin is really nice. Um, and that's, that's just kind of where I'm at right now. And, you know, I know a lot of farmers are, are doing it and trying to get by on it, but I'm just in a different spot. So yeah, it's nice for me in that it's really low risk. Like this whole thing could blow up tomorrow and I could be like, well, that was fun. Yeah, exactly. Um, just walk away from it and have a freezer full of pork. Yeah. <laughs> so with that, so where are you? How, so how many pigs do you have on farm right now? So right now I have uh, my boar, my two sows who I'm, I'm holding off and I want to breed them later in the winter so I can get an early spring drop and kind of get, get on a cycle with them. <clears throat> and then I have four, four piglets that I kept from this, this past set of them. And the rest of the piglets I I'd sold to other farmers. Um, so I'm raising basically four feeders now and then I have three breeding stock. Oh, okay. So you sold the yeah. majority of your of your successful farrow and sold the majority of those just as wieners as, as they were coming off. Yeah, and that was kind of an experiment too. I was like, hey, you know, I got 17, 18 piglets here. I could probably raise all those myself, but, like, that would be a lot for me. Um, so if I can get people to buy them off of me, I'm going to do that. And and that was another thing where I had I had no idea – you know, maybe they'll all be gone. Maybe I won't be able to sell one. Like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of farmers around me, but I, I'm not networked with them well. Um, and, you know, with like the heritage breeds, you know, it, that's it's a pretty unique thing. Me having a Hereford Berkshire cross, it's pasture raised. That's different than the guy down the road who has a, you know, random feeder pig that he doesn't even know the breed on and confinement, you know, that. Right. So I was trying to hopefully get the value of what I thought my pigs were worth. But, you know, the value of your of your product is whatever someone's going to pay for it. Like they'll tell you real quick. Um, and so fortunately I just, um, you know, used kind of the, the social networking and, and sold most of my pigs to people who weren't directly local. Um, and frankly sold out fairly quickly, at least the first litter. Um, and the second litter took a little bit, but went as well. And I had people travel from pretty far away, which was really cool. And frankly, really humbling that people would come that far for my pigs. But, uh, I hope they found it to be worth it. So it was really cool. <clears throat> yeah, and that, and that's I, th- I think you made a wise choice there, especially understanding now your infrastructure and 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 being light on the equipment. And you go to finish you know, fifteen to seventeen to twenty hogs. Um, yeah, that's exponentially. That's a lot of feed to move around. And uh, exactly, yeah, doing all that by hand or in a wheelbarrow. That's well, you're twenty eight. Maybe maybe you could handle it better than I could. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. that that, that but really. Still. 
turns into a, a, a long year with a lot of labor. So, yeah, what a, what a great, um, and I'm glad you pointed that out because I think that's a great example for people listening that may be considering getting into this to say, okay, you don't have to, A, be afraid to try farrowing, to try your own breeding, and you don't have to finish everything that hits the ground. You can obviously uh, uh, sell the wieners. You can obviously sell roasters if you've got a market there. Uh, so yeah. you don't necessarily have to finish it. If it's your first time finishing for, for resale, then then look at those smaller numbers and, and don't be afraid to just finish a handful. Yeah, and honestly, that's why I did it. I, I feel like a lot of people, especially in my position, would be like, hey, you know, farrowing, that's too much for me. I'll just, I'll just buy feeders and raise them and, and do that. But I was like, hey, you know, if this pig can create 10 more pigs and I can get you know, even if you got 50 bucks a pig, a piglet for them, and, and I think people can do better than that, depending on where you're at, you know, you multiply that by 10, that's not bad. Um, you know, and so for me, it was like, hey, I won't have to pay for my feeders, and I'll, I'll keep some of them. And then, you know, it's it's kind of like quick cash right there, assuming things go well, which for me, it was fortunate enough that they did. So yeah, if you look yeah at- it's just maximizing easy, easy profit, basically, even if that might not be a high number it, it was an easy number so yeah and and again that's the beauty of the the biology of a pig the the typical litter sizes um, can really become profitable yeah if you if you've got 10 pigs that hit the ground on one litter and you say i'm going to get rid of all of these and you can sell those 50 to 100 dollars a pop yeah that that's a pretty good return on investment uh, pretty quickly yeah and getting back to the barriers of entry thing you know that versus like a cow that's going to drop one or two with a much longer time to get there like shoot it's kind of a no-brainer yeah yeah very good well so you're a year and a half into this uh chris what would you say for people listening what would you say has been your biggest challenge so far oh that's a good question (laughs) right now at this moment in time my biggest challenge is electric fencing because i had fencing going great i had uh i had pigs in a training pen so they're they're in a paddock when they're when their baby's inside my barn, so physical barrier um, that, that they can't get out of, and then electric fence on the inside to kind of train them on it, and then let, let them go outside. And, man, that worked great for the longest time. And then uh, I'm having an existential crisis right now because apparently my fence wasn't as strong as I thought it was, and my pig started testing it kind of out of nowhere. Yeah. And so just in the last 48 hours, I've had pigs kind of running everywhere. <laughs> um, so... I've been trying to get a new charger and figure out what's wrong with my fencing system. But before that, it worked like a charm. Right. Um, so that that was one thing. I, I haven't figured that out yet. But I'll, the, I'll tell you, just, just a tip from an old guy, uh, 95% yeah. of the time, it's your ground. <laughs> that, so, that's what I'm thinking. So, uh, and it, it's, I mean, we're in Pennsylvania, so it doesn't get that dry, but it's been a dry summer. So I, I literally watered my grounding rods. I just, I just dumped five-gallon buckets on each of them. Um, but, yeah, i got to address that and – do some more research. So, yeah. if you want yeah. to give me more tips offline, I'll I'll take whatever I can get. Yeah, at well, yeah, that's uh, one of those things. Obviously, a, a good charger, good ground, and a good tester. Those those are the things you, you want, and uh, and and definitely when the, when the chargers say you need this many feet of ground pole, then do that plus. And I found, right, yeah, right. I found where we are in West Virginia. Obviously, we have issues with. Uh, you know, it's it's a very humid area, so I find mm-hmm. that I'll I'll get I'll even get buildup of corrosion on my ground wires. So every year I, mm. I just go around and take my uh, grounding components apart, you know, scuff them up with some sandpaper, do whatever to, to rough them up again, and start mm, testing. That's a good idea. But yeah, a good tester helps. Like if you if you put your tester on your um, if it's a digital display tester and you put it on your uh, 
on your ground wire. And if you're getting, what I'd always read is if you're getting more than one uh, um, kilovolt on your ground, then then you've got too much uh, resistance on your ground. You got to start working on that. So, mm. yeah. and that's the other thing. Like I, I didn't have a tester until yesterday. There <laughs> I was you go. Like, yeah. Time to get a tester. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a good investment. But then it, <laughs> it's what what good does a tester do if it? Like okay, it told me there was a problem. I knew that. Right. <laughs> I gotta go find the problem. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always, but anyways, I always joke that uh, as as people talk about the fence tester and say, okay, you know, I, you know, how hot does your fence need to be? Well, you know, the hotter the better, of course. Um, yeah. Uh, I've discovered with my pigs that I have to have at least uh, three uh, kilovolts to be able to to make them respect it. Uh, and usually mm-hmm. I run about eight to nine uh, on on mm-hmm. my tester, but uh, I always say I want it. I want it when they hit it. I want them. I want to smell bacon because that's that's going to mean <laughs> that's going to mean they're going to respect it a lot. But but yeah, that that's funny. That's that's a challenge I think so many of us face with with pastured systems is is that infrastructure while the fence is is inexpensive, keeping it hot, keeping uh, keeping limbs off of it. If you go in the woods. Out here, it's an issue of deer. My deer like to blast through ours and tear it all to pieces. So mm, we, we had yeah. to switch to fourteen gauge to keep the the white tail from tearing it up. Um, mm. Yeah, it seems to always be a challenge there, but that's that's part of it. So, so uh, yeah. I, I will say like that. That's my current problem. But I have been blown away by in general how well electric fences worked. Like that's the one thing I didn't believe when I was doing my research. I was like. You're telling me like one strand or two strands or whatever of fencing is going to keep this hog in like that's crazy. And I, I think when I first started, I had a small area with like five strands. I was like, you know, we'll work you guys down. Right. <laughs> but but now, I mean, it's totally until recently proved me right. And I have, you know, one strand of wire almost everywhere that's shin height. And shoot, you got this, you know, 500 pound bore that respects the crap out of it. Yeah. Um. So that that always surprises people if they come out to the farm and like, that's all you need. I'm like, yep. Little three foot push in fence post and one strand of shoelace wire. And we're off to the races. So that's been really cool. Yeah. And I think, I think it's good. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's good to do a risk assessment as well. Like in our situation where if a pig gets out of my fence, there's, really 600 acres of nothing around us. So I don't have to worry about them, uh, you know, doing a lot of damage. Whereas in, right. in some situations, people, you know, if you've got some prized rose garden uh, gardener beside you, then, you know, you, you may want to be a little bit more deliberate on maintaining your fence mm. and being right. know, more of a physical barrier there. But That's so sounds like you're overcoming your, your challenge there with your tester. Uh, so looking back on the year and a half, what would you say was, Something you've, you you felt maybe was was easier, or that you feel has really been successful and fortunate for you. Uh, I mean, honestly, the whole the the whole production has has been really smooth thus far. I've I've been really pleased with it, um, it just in general. Um, but to, to dive into more specifics, I think, and you were kind of asking about the challenges too. One of the things I've really been working on is is feed. Um, you know, getting back to what we talked about earlier with, with knowing where your food comes from and stuff. Well, garbage in, garbage out. I want to eat a good pig. Well, what's the pig eating, you know? Uh, and so we have, uh, pretty much just one, one good, um, food store around here and, um, they don't have an organic option that I'm aware of at least. And so they've just got like a kind of generic 15%, you know, uh, pig meal type thing. That, that I've always bought from them as kind of like my, my base food for, you know, 
So, I mean, they're all, they're on pasture, but you know, they need something else. Cause I, cause I don't have my pastures where I need them. And so, but I'm trying to get off of that because I, I know this, this is just corn and soy meal. It's had Roundup dumped on it and everything else. And so I'm really trying hard to get away from that as much as I can, you know, whether it's going from giving the pigs 75% of that as their diet to, okay, back and down to 50, back and down to 25 as, as I increase other things. So, um, back in December or January, I started really looking into the, the whole idea of fodder and checking out what people are doing there and, and have really gotten involved with that. Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm small, so it's on a small level compared to some other people, but right now I've built up my own fodder system that I'm pulling about I think like 30 pounds a day of, of fresh barley fodder. So that's been cool. Uh, and then I do have a couple of, um, of, uh, like fruit trees. I have a, a random, really, really tall, um, wild, kind of a wild pear tree that last year, I think I got like a hundred gallons of pears off of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that I got a bunch of walnut trees and stuff like that. So I'm trying to supplement food as much as I can to get my, my pig meal down because, uh, I mean, it's it's good in that I know what's in it in terms of minerals and all that stuff, but I'm trying to get away from some of those unknown ingredients and what's been dumped on them. So the the fodder thing has really been an ongoing process for me that's had its challenges, but it's also been pretty successful. Um, and I'd encourage anybody to, to spend some time looking into that if you haven't already, because it's, it's pretty good ROI depending on what you can get seed for. Yeah, yeah, and that's 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 a good point. And there's, um, yeah, I know we've had Carl Blake on before, and he has a pretty neat. Bless his heart. <laughs> yeah, that he's put in at, at, at a much larger scale. But yeah, I think you're right. Take advantage of if you're just getting started out. Take advantage of that small scale right now to explore some of these things. Some of these things aren't scalable on a high production level, but some of them really are. Even though some people would say, there's no way. You, you, know, you can do fodder for a handful of pigs, but when you go to 100 pigs, you're never going to do that. Well, there's people right. out there that, that would prove that, that statement wrong. So, yeah, talk yeah. to Carl. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of non-conventional options out there when it comes to, to raising pigs on pasture, and it's great uh, as, as people try these and they share their information so we can all learn from it. Oh, yeah. Well, all right. So um, along those lines, in, in your year and a half of experience now, what would your advice be for somebody who's uh, coming up behind and saying, OK, I'm, I'm just to the point where I think I want to go buy pigs. I'm going to start searching Craigslist for pigs now. <laughs> well, what would your advice be for somebody starting out? Uh, pay attention to the breed name on that Craigslist post. <laughs> <laughs> Read the post. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, <clears throat> you know, honestly, I think my advice would be to to use social networking and start just kind of digesting that, you know, uh, I know a lot of us are on the, the pastured pig Facebook page. And, and I mean, obviously if you're listening to this podcast, you probably got it from somewhere. Um, but anyways, if you just, if you do that kind of, that kind of research and, and get those people on your radar, those groups on your radar, then you start to read, you know, Hey, people are posting this problem and this question, and it could have nothing to do with what you have. Well, in this case, if, if you don't have any pigs yet, but you can just learn. I think I think I liked that page before I had pigs by maybe a couple months when I was doing my own research and people would just come and post stuff and, and I would read about it and I just kind of like file it away, you know, and then that problem comes up for me and I'm like, oh, yeah, people have talked about this. Um, so I think that was cool because when you get into a project like this, like you're really ignorant in that you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so there, when you're talking about people who do know what they don't know, and they're asking questions, 
you can kind of file that away and be like, ah, okay, like that's good to know. And a lot of it you have to throw out because, you know, hey, that's not applicable to me. But it's, I find that to be well worth the time if you have that kind of networking of people or certainly local farmers too, if there's people who raise pigs. Um, But I think that is like the the main piece of advice I would give. Excellent. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. There, there's a community element there that, uh, yeah, we're in a brave new world and, and we get to really take advantage of through technology to be able to communicate with so many people that are, are that have similar interests. And we can share all of this, this knowledge. And that's, yeah, obviously that was my motivation for, for doing this podcast is, yeah, is, it's is, awesome. is just to, to be able to talk to people. I, you know, I learn more from the podcast than I, than, than I ever imagined just by talking to people and just to hear how people do their uh, processes differently. Yeah, it's it's great. So, I mean, that's that's my main advice. And then beyond that, you know, train your piglets well on an electric fence and uh, <laughs> um, buy a good tester. That, <laughs> yeah, buy buy a good tester much quicker than, than Chris did. Um, and then uh, you know, from a sales perspective, I I use that network to sell my piglets. But honestly, like, I haven't gone outside of my own interpersonal network yet to sell my meat. Um, now I, I'm obviously, I haven't sold that much meat and I have, I'm not doing, you know, 20 hogs a month or anything, but just word of mouth so far in my own friend network, people have come and bought, you know, halves and holes off of me. Um, and I do that just by, you know, kind of posting random pictures about my pigs or my farm or talking about it, you know, on my own Facebook page or whatever the case may be. And then people be like, Hey, you know, let me know when you got some bacon available and, Point out, I got stuff pre-sold before I even asked. So, again, I know I'm super small scale, so that's not hard to do. But you'd be surprised if you just kind of generate that traffic for yourself, what people are going to be at to. So I haven't had to make a website yet or or try and – I haven't had any problem getting rid of my meat yet, um, which has been cool. Yeah, yeah. And, again, that that all comes back to that scalability again, just – just grow at the speed that you want to grow and, and, and handle some of these, uh, some of these efforts the best way. I mean, there'll, there'll be some, there'll be some logical speed bumps as the, as you, as you increase in, in size and you get to that point, it's like, okay, I've exhausted all my friends. Now, what am I going to do? But right, right. Uh, that's a lot easier to swallow when you say, well, I only have to move one or two versus, okay, now I'm stuck with 30 and, and I didn't, I didn't right. see this. <laughs> So yeah, yeah, so that's I'll, I'll never forget. I, I had a guy reach out to me and say, "Hey, I've got um, I think he was finishing like fifteen or twenty pigs. I'm about finished with fifteen or twenty pigs, and now it's time for me to start you know, seeking people out to buy them." And I was like, "Oh my goodness, yeah." So here you are, you know, less than a month away from taking the processing, and you haven't even begun to try to sell them yet. So yeah, that's it. That's what I try and do because you know I'm well, I'm just a I'm a planner, and I don't like things that fail, and so. I will try to pre-sell stuff, even if it's just a loose verbal, as early as I can. So, like, for example, when, my, when those piglets dropped, I was trying to sell them as soon as I had a count on, on males and females and how many do I have, you know. And, and even though I knew I had eight weeks for them before they were weaned and ready to go, I tried to get those suckers sold as early as I could, knowing, you know, give myself an eight-week cushion before they were ready to go out the door. Excellent. Or if I know I'm going to raise a feeder, hey, I'm trying to sell that already even if it hey it's it's not going to be for five months but i can put your name down um yeah yeah exactly deposits verbals whatever whatever it takes to get to get people to get that mindset at the beginning that uh yeah that you want to get those moved 
Well, all right. Well, Chris, um, I, I know you're 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 new and putting things together so you don't necessarily have a, a uh, electronic presence but I know you'd mentioned you're in some of the uh, pastured pig groups you're on Facebook so if people want to try to reach out to you that way uh, how can they find you yeah um, I'm, I'm in the pastured pig um, Facebook group um, I actually uh, I'm in there under uh, Christopher James is kind of my my surname on there and um, yeah so you could reach out to me there shoot me a message um, definitely open to talking about people or I'll, I'll probably just end up asking them more questions than they'll ask me. But, um, yeah, I, like I said, I don't have a farm Facebook or I don't have a farm website or Facebook page yet, but, um, maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like that should be coming down the line soon. Well, all right. Well, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me tonight. I enjoyed our conversation and, uh, I pray you have a good finishing on, on your pigs that you have left. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to put this together. It, you know, it really helps the community and our what we're all trying to do. So I, I appreciate all the work you do. Excellent. Well, all right. Take care. Have a good evening. Yep. See ya. Well, okay. I really appreciate Chris taking the time to sit down and talk with me. I hope uh, I hope you all find this uh, information valuable. Interviewing these these people that are new to pastured pigs. Um, some of you uh, weathered veterans, maybe uh, maybe you're not learning anything from it, but it's Maybe you've got some information that you can impart uh, and we can share. I know a lot of us are on the pastured pig groups, uh, so feel free to, uh, to throw out some comments there if, if you um, feel that there's a need to. Um, if you haven't had a chance to yet and you feel so inclined, please uh, give us a rating and a review. Uh, it really goes a long way. Uh, it helps other people find us. I do want to share a review with you. Uh, I thought this was kind of funny. So... Um, a review by the name of Dirty Rats gave us an interview. I'm sorry, gave us a review. And their comment says, uh, it was four stars and says, love the podcast and the information presented. Audio balancing still needs some work. That tone at the end nearly gave my napping husband a heart attack. <laughs> so, uh, Dirty Rats, I apologize for that. Uh, I, think, I think I finally, after 20 episodes, I think I finally got my audio figured out. Um, it's one of those things where what I hear in my ears when I produce this versus what the final product is uh, sometimes varies, but I think I finally got that nailed down. And yes, those uh, transition tones that I have really dialed those back quite a bit because you're right, those do come in a little hot sometimes. So I appreciate the review and, and hopefully um, we won't cause any more heart conditions or heart issues for your husband in that situation. <laughs> And uh, lastly, we have a couple more slots available in October. Um, if you would like to be interviewed, you'd like to come on the podcast, we try to do our interviews in batches. Uh, so I've got a couple more slots in October. Just uh, if, if you'd like to put your name in the list or suggest somebody, just go to redtoolhouse.com, click on the Pastured Pig Podcast link, and you'll see a simple little form there where you can submit some information. And that way I can reach out to you or whomever you're suggesting and see about getting a time schedule. Well, again, appreciate everybody uh, listening to the podcast, and I pray you have a wonderful week on the farm. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit redtoolhouse.com.